Hey guys, and welcome to Hunting Land, presented by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. If you'd like to stay up to date on hunting tactics, land management, land values, and land market dynamics, this is the podcast for you. This week's show is brought to you by Texas Hunter. Since 1954, Texas Hunter Products has produced the best engineered and finest quality feeders and hunting blinds in the industry. The Texas Hunter brand has become synonymous with quality and durability. By sticking to premium standards, the company delivers tough, long-lasting products that meet the real-life needs of anglers and hunters across America. Their fish feeders, deer feeders, hunting blinds, and outdoor accessories are among the highest rated in the industry. You can trust that your purchase from Texas Hunter Products will meet your needs for generations to come. To learn more, visit TexasHunter.com. And also brought to you by Mallard Bay Outdoors. Mallardbay.com is the Airbnb-style marketplace for discovering and booking your next scouted hunting and fishing adventures. The Mallard Bay platform was built by sportsmen for sportsmen. Their mission is to help expand access to affordable and successful hunting by connecting you with verified outfitters across the United States. You can browse trips and prices by state or species, select the dates you'd like to go, message outfitters, and secure your dates all from one platform, mallardbay.com. Not sure where you want to go yet? Reach out on Instagram or Facebook, and they can help you find your dream hunt. I'm your host, Joe Baya, here today with my co-host, Butch Theory and Clint Flowers. Guys, today we're going to be really diving off deep into planning for an off-grid solar system. This is something that has... Uh, kind of gives me anxiety just 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 thinking about it you know it's very complicated and and i'm not an electrician uh number one but it seems so complicated at times that it seems insurmountable have y'all messed around with trying to do stuff off grid <laughs> not solar no i've been around and, and we've done all kind of cheap generator systems to more higher end diesel and propane driven generator systems and they've always had something go wrong yeah. And Butch, I've, you've been to my place as we tried to run on, on generators. You know, part of the reason why I wanted to talk about this is I really want to get away from having to deal with generators. How'd you like my generator set up at the camp? Not fun. It's not very fun to get, uh, have to go put fuel in the generator at 3 a.m. in your underwear in the summer. Right. Right. It's not where you want to be. It's not a good option. And that's usually when the carburetor, uh, will come up too is uh it's never on oh, the yeah. the it's never on the weekends when the out, outside temperature is good enough to uh open the windows and enjoy <laughs> right. a, a night of a good night of sleep it's always at the wrong time so for folks that are interested in planning an off-grid solar system today we're going to dive off into everything you need to think about and to do that we're talking with josh pouliot with revolt solar Josh, first off, tell us a little bit about Revolt Solar and what you guys specialize in. Sure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Revolt is specializing in off-grid. So there's there's a lot of solar companies throughout the country. Most don't touch off-grid. We're approaching that as a niche that we we really think is is a huge piece of the puzzle. And so not only are we meeting these off-grid customers where they're at, but we've done this in a very unique way. So we're we're different that we're specializing in off-grid and then we, we've built a freestanding system. So we're not putting batteries in the garage, in the basement, not having to build a doghouse outside and put all the equipment in there. It's all coming as a plug-and-play freestanding system. So we're differentiating ourselves quite a bit with, with specializing off-grid and doing it in this way. Yeah, as, as we were doing the research on this podcast and looking for the expert on the subject, uh, that was one of the first things I noticed about uh, Revolt's product is that it is freestanding, it's standalone, it's self-contained. That's one of the things that's very interesting to me about it because 
you know, a lot of the things we discuss on this podcast are really geared towards the rural landowner. In a lot of cases, it's very rural. We're talking recreational properties. I happen to own one where the cost of bringing in grid tied power is pretty much cost prohibitive. And so looking into these solar options, I wanted it to be something that could withstand the rigors of those those that situation. Um, and so it's interesting that you guys have specialized in this niche because there are some unique scenarios and, and definitely some problems that landowners with this kind of goal of being off-grid and, and getting their off-grid power have. So when it comes to off-grid solar systems, and so we're talking about a, a, a solar power that is not tied into the grid in any way, what, what are the advantages and disadvantages of of doing that. Sure. So we'll start with the positive. We'll start with the advantages. Um, so no power bill. And, and this is a big one that people reach out to us for. I don't want an electric bill anymore. I don't trust my power company. We lose power too much. It's too expensive. I don't want to have to pay this into my retirement, whatever those reasons are. Mm-hmm. This is one of the only ways to guarantee you're not going to have a power bill. Because if you do a traditional grid tied solar system, you're going to have a minimum charge on there sometimes. So there's a lot of ignorance in the solar industry of salesmen telling the homeowner, oh, we've put enough solar on your roof. You're not going to have an electric bill when that is not the complete truth. So off-grid is really great for no power bill. Um, No power outages is another huge one, right? So there is a triple redundant feature to these systems that we're relying on sunlight and then something that does not rely on sunlight, like a backup generator built into the system. So we can say, hey, no matter what's happening in the weather in the world or the grid, it doesn't matter. You're going to have power. You're not going to be subject to those outages that everyone else in your town will have. That's a big deal right there because absolutely, you know, when I'm going up to my property, uh, a lot of times, if we think about right now, we're in the middle of August. It is hotter than the blazes. And if I'm toting my wife and two young kids up there with me, I want to make sure we're going to have air conditioning. I don't want that to be a possibility that we don't. And what you just described is true. You know, like my property happens to be in an area where it's, it's timberland. Trees are falling constantly. A bad a bad thunderstorm can knock power out. Yeah, you know, we had some you, tornadoes up at my place not too, too long ago. There's yeah, a bunch so, of stuff down and lost power and all kind of stuff. So every time I go this time of year, I'm carrying backup generators with me. Uh, to make sure that if we go down, uh, I can get us back up. That's a that's a huge advantage to knowing that you're going to have power. And two, thinking about you know being here in the south where we are, you always got the chance of a hurricane blowing through. Knowing that if you need a place to go, you're going to have power is some peace of mind as well. What other advantages are there? Yeah, um, so there's this safety aspect, right? So we we preach security over savings, right? There's a lot of solar companies that are preaching, hey go solar, save some money. This is more about the security of providing power to your family. This is not a luxury. Power is a necessity, right? You have water just as a basic need. You need pumps for that. You need to somehow access that water. And so um, safety of your family, your property, what have you is is a huge advantage of being off-grid, which is counterintuitive because people call us scared because they can't get grid power. And they're like, what are we going to do? I don't know if we can trust an off-grid system. It, and we we explain the redundancies there and there's no moving parts. It, you know, these things work really well and they're they're fundamentally better suited 
to not have an outage than a grid could be because the grid has all those transmission lines and power structures over miles and miles and miles. Anything goes wrong and you're out of power. So we have we have a story of um, one of our customer, our first customer um, in Missouri several years ago. He was getting these letters from his power company. Hey, we're apologizing that the the outage has lasted so long, and he he didn't know everyone else didn't have power. There was no way for him to know. Yeah. Wow. Well, you mentioned several advantages there. You mentioned one being no power bill. I, my power bill at our place can be it can vary depending, like Joe said, it's hot as heck down here right now. I mean, how much are we talking about here as far as for a whole system? I'm sure it's going to vary depending on the size of your structure. But, you know, saying no power bill, how how long does it take for that to even out? Yeah, I mean, so when we look at the average ROI, it's about 12 years. And, and that varies quite a bit. It could be eight, could be 15 years. It's difficult to calculate because what you're projecting is how high the power companies are going to raise their rates over time. Mm-hmm. Right. So we can we can take a safe number or we could be a little bit more accurate in what they've done the last 10 years. If it's a six percent increase versus a three percent, that's greatly going to impact what that looks like long term and savings. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's going to be savings long term and certain situations are better than others. If you're living in Florida versus Michigan, obviously, that looks very different in the size of the system and the initial investment. But again, this is not the perfect fit. If if saving money is your number one goal, this isn't the best way to go solar. That would be without batteries and without this larger initial investment. But if you want the security, you'll get the savings too. That's just going to happen. It's like any investment. It's a long-term investment for savings. Good thing about landowners is we're used to that. You know, just about everything in in land ownership is a long it's cycle. A long game. You know? That's right. We're planting trees that take 30 years to harvest uh, in a lot of cases. So 12 years sounds pretty good to me, actually. Yeah, it's not bad. There's certain states that offer incentives. Um, So certain states and certain counties and certain towns and certain power companies have extra offerings besides the federal tax credit. And that greatly impacts ROI. Vermont, South Carolina, some of these states have amazing incentives for going solar. And so that the money that you receive back reduces the amount of time it takes for you to to break even and start profiting essentially from going and doing this. Does this qualify for any of those green programs like the window replacement, those type tax credits? It does for almost all of them. Um, the fact that it's off grid really doesn't take away from the the advantages or the um, application process to to go ahead and try and get as many incentives as you can for going solar. That's what they're there for. The fact that it's off grid sometimes impacts certain incentives that there's certain power companies that need people to go solar and provide energy to the grid. And some of those incentives are tied for that. And so those are the ones that you would not qualify for if you're off grid, you're not, you're not feeding the grid in any way. Uh, but, but most of them are intact and most of them you would be eligible for depending on where you are and, and the size of the system. Josh, you know, you're talking about no power, no power outages. And like you said, that is a big safety act aspect to having a system like this is, is knowing that regardless of what's going on, I've got redundancies that are going to give me power. One of the things that I've always wondered about when it comes to having my own power generation system, whether it's solar or wind driven or hydroelectric, whatever it may be, is that at least in my experience, just about anything I touch, I learned how to break it. So that's true, Josh. That's true. Yeah. I do like it whenever a limb falls on a power transmission line 
I get a little text from the power company that says, Hey, we're, we've got guys on the way, you know, it, it may take them a while, but I like knowing somebody's going to work on it. And I'm not the kind of guy that wants to get out there and mess around with, you know, electricity or, you know, take those risks. So when it comes to the maintenance of these systems and, you know, being able to uh, kind of be self-sustaining, is there much maintenance involved with this? Is that, is that an advantage or a disadvantage you think? Depending on how you look at it, right? So there's no moving parts. So if there, if this is an off-grid system, there's a high chance there's a backup whole home generator backing up the system. That's got moving parts. That's an engine. That's a motor. That's going to need those oil changes and those things over time to make sure it's running well. The solar piece and the battery piece, that whole side of the equation doesn't have any moving parts. It's a set it and forget it system. There's people that, because I've been in the industry so long, there's there's my first couple installs that have been turned on for 10 years now. Nothing's gone wrong. They haven't had to adjust their system. They haven't had to go up and clean solar panels off or oil this or plug in that. Now, things can go wrong, just like anything, right? Joe, you might find a way to somehow break something. Right. But yeah. So, probably so, involve a tractor, Josh. I'm going to go ahead and let you know. <laughs> Definitely. The, the most broken panels I've heard of is from bullets, not from the things that we would consider like trees or I could see that too. Rocks yeah. and, and whatnot. But I digress. Basically, the uh, the premise is set it and forget it. If if there's something wrong, the company, like companies like ours and the homeowner is going to have access remotely to the system's performance online. And so you can hop in and check your system. If you just have a funny feeling or your lights flickered or you're just curious, you can log in and we're monitoring systems as well, like almost every solar company to make sure we can flag something that's not performing like it should and either talk a homeowner through it if it's super easy, like flick in a breaker or send someone out to look at what's happening. It's just very rare. Well, that's good to yeah. hear. Definitely are, good to hear. What are the disadvantages of, of off-grid? Sure. Um, first one I would say is finite power. When you're on the grid, you don't think about, Hey, if I'm running my dishwasher, my kid's taking a shower upstairs, I'm pumping water, my air conditioning on all three zones are blaring. You don't have that thought process. You're just using power, right? And we see some of these homeowners with six, 7,000 square foot homes, thousand dollar electric bills. They got hot tubs and pools and it's never a thought process. There's no awareness around that. When you're off grid, we can certainly build a system that big, but there's still going to be a finite amount of power. There's still an upper limit to what you can run continuously or instantaneously. And so it's really important for us as an off grid solar provider to size a system correctly. And that doesn't mean I, I see a lot of people want to just, okay, I need. 10 panels, so I'm going to go 20 just to be overkill. We don't think that's responsible because that's not cost effective either. Uh, but wanting to make sure you have enough power so you don't really have to think about what you're turning on all at once. But I do want someone to have a general awareness of there is an upper limit to this. And even though it's impossible to do, don't turn every single thing on in your house at the exact same moment because mm. right, we're going to have to restart the system at that point. Right. That's just something to be aware of. Just the awareness of that is key. Josh, this is one of the things that has kind of perplexed my planning uh, when thinking about this is that just my current scenario is that we're not drawing a lot of power. Um, kind of where we are with our with our property is we're using campers to enjoy the property on the weekends. And 
those campers don't draw much power. So, you know, for me to come and bring in a system right now would not be much, would not need as much as if I were building a cabin, uh, which we plan to do down the line. And then it just kind of goes up from there. I can see a scenario where we're running a welder. I can see a scenario where uh, we've we've got a walk-in cooler. I mean, there's a lot of things that you start to go, yeah, I could maybe have that. Is, is an off-grid solar system or, you know, either one like you guys provide or, or, or others, is it scalable? Can you let it grow with you? This is part of our marketing. And, and one of the reasons we built a freestanding system, we wanted it to be very scalable. Most off-grid systems are not. Ours is because of the way it's built freestanding. We, they're modular, right? If we have one box with all your equipment and you need a second box, we just add a second box. We can add second inverter. We could add more batteries. We could add more solar panels. We could add another power source like a a wheeled-in generator or hydropower or windmill power. It's very scalable because we know properties are going to evolve on these off-grid homesteads, right? There's a lot of people that call in with with five and 10-year plans. Hey, I'm going to start off with one cabin and then I'm going to build my kids a cabin. And then we're going to have this barn dominium with all my power tools in it. Mm -hmm. And right. And so We might start off with one size, knowing that we're going to size it up whenever that happens, that next step. Or we might consider, hey, if that's imminent, you're definitely going to do it. We might want to cost-effectively just size it for it now. And then you don't really need to scale it at that point. Yeah, It really, that comes down to finances at that point on how much they want to outlay at one point or spread it out over many years. Talking about that, what is the rate per square foot or kilowatt or per panel? I mean, how does somebody decide, you know, what size do I need if I'm going to build an X square foot house or is there a rule of thumb? Right. Or are we going to have to have certain types of wiring versus the conventional lamps and washers and things like that? Because we've all kind of seen our our little redneck rigged up off-grid camps throughout our lives and careers. And they've always got their own little peculiarities around it, but you know, you guys have really got it dialed in. So what is, what is that, you know, that, that ratio that you're if somebody needs to know how much they need, what, what are we looking for? Sure. And this is semi-complicated, right? So a traditional solar company would look at a power bill and build a system slightly bigger than that, if possible. With an off-grid system, that's too superficial. It's just not enough information. And, mm-hmm. and people call in all the time and say, hey, I have a 2,000 square foot house. How much? Yeah. It's like, well, <laughs> that, that is not the place we're going to start, right? 2,000 square foot helps me if they don't have any appliances yet, I can kind of gauge how big their air conditioning unit might be. So that's all I'm going to use the square footage for. But what we're looking at is the largest appliances they're going to have, right? The appliances that are going to take more than a 15 amp breaker. So your stoves, your water heaters, your air conditioning units, those big appliances are going to drive sizing more than anything else. We're looking at a lot of geeky Stats like LRA, which is locked rotor amps. So things with motors that spin have to overcome friction to get going. And so there's this giant instantaneous load for an engine to start. And that's going to pull a lot of electricity in that one moment. And then once it just starts running continuously, it's a much lower amount of power. So we're solving for both those amperages, that startup amp and the continuous amp to try and size this effectively. We also want to know when people are using power because that's going to determine how many batteries they need. If we have 
family A that's retired and goes to bed at 7 p.m. every night, they're going to use a different amount of power than a family of four that is at school and work all day and comes home and uses most of their power at nighttime. Those are going to be completely different amounts of batteries, even if they use the same amount of power. So it is semi-complicated. It's not a simple equation. We don't even do our pricing based on size of the system. It's we're, we're customizing the approach on what's called 8760. There's basically 8,760 hours a year. We're going to solve for if we put a system at that property, how much would it produce every hour of the year? And then how much are they going to consume in power every hour of the year? And our calculations are, are pretty in-depth at that point. We can pull data online of similar sized homes in their area and how much power they use. There's a lot of, a lot of ways to go about this. It's not easy for the novice person to figure out. Definitely something that somebody needs to reach out to you guys and talk about their specific situation. I've, I've done a little bit of research on it myself and you, it's, you're right. It is, it's overwhelming to the layperson to look at this and try to figure out what they'd even need. You know, we've been talking about advantages and disadvantages of off-grid, but the alternative to that, one of the alternatives to that, of course, is just being grid tied. And you're going to have some of the things we've already talked about where, you know, a limb falls on a transmission line and you're out of power and you're waiting for somebody to come fix it. What are some of the other disadvantages of being grid tied? Yeah, the big one for me is a never ending increasing power bill and never stops increasing over time. Um, so, so that one's huge. They can also dictate the size of your system. And this actually happened to me personally. I live in New Hampshire. I wanted to apply for my solar system before Revolt even existed. And the neighbor across the street already had solar. They're hooked up to the same transformer on the telephone pole between our houses. And so my system, the size I applied for, wasn't going to work for that transformer. So I was left with a choice, upgrade the transformer for $20,000 or shrink my system size, right? So either my price went way up or I got to live with a smaller system. And and that obviously doesn't come into play off-grid. I can go as large as I need to. Um, so I don't like that the grid can stipulate yes or no, you can go solar and you can only go this size until you upgrade a transformer. And this is happening in cul-de-sacs and neighborhoods that are kind of tight together. Um, not so much for the offstead, the off-grid homesteaders, but basically these grid tied people, as more and more people are going solar, we're kind of limiting the next people in that neighborhood from going solar as well. So you mentioned a little bit of it there as far as uh, where you're living kind of dictates whether this is you know possible or not. Um, as far as off-grid solar power systems as a whole, do you run into any states that just say, no, you, you cannot do that here or city limits or anything like that? Is it legal everywhere or are there stipulations? Pretty much, right? We're lucky enough or blessed enough. We, we sell in every state except California. So California is its own entity. It's a very highly regulated solar state. They got their own regulations. It's very, very tightly permitted. Uh, You got to have your ducks in a row. And we haven't really been able to navigate well there with installers that want to go off grid because of how many hoops they have to jump through. Almost every state allows it. I have people call in from Florida seems to be frequently people say, I can't go off grid. And I say, yes, you can. They'll say, no, I live in such and such town. I'm like, well, we've installed off grid in that town before. So I'm a hundred percent sure you can. I don't know where you heard that from. There are some towns that don't like ground mounts. So the towns and the legislation around ground mounts, they'll 
deem it an accessory structure and it can only be a certain size and put in, in a certain place. If it's too close to a neighbor, you can't do it. We had, we had a, a homeowner in Ohio that actually changed their legislation in their town to make sure they could get the ground mount revolt system. Nice. Um, so that, that was beautiful. That was, a, that was quite the process. Um, and then there's, there's another story in North Dakota of a homeowner. Um, that was the, the biggest hurdle we've had is the permitting inspector had never seen anything like our system before. And so it took months and months of exchanges and visits and, and knowledge and kind of a teaching moment to make sure that we did indeed size it correctly and, and they're not going to be without power and it is safe and probably safer than the grid and so on. Um, that was one of the bigger challenges um, that we faced in terms of making sure that it's completely above board. It, it's not going to lead into any kind of permitting or any kind of house issues later down the road. One of the things I've seen purported to be an advantage of being grid tied is that you're going to be able to feed power back into the grid. And I've heard conflicting reports on if that's even possible as well. Do you see that possibility, whether it's legal or not, or, or whether it's possible or not, but do you see that possibility as you know, being worth the disadvantages of being grid tied? Yeah. Yeah. In certain situations. So we, our system can be grid backed is how we call it. You're still grid independent. We're, we're using air quotes on off grid or grid independent. You're, you're using solar and batteries the same way an off grid person would, but in the event of several cloudy days in a row and your batteries are starting to reach their low point, we can use the grid as a backup instead of a generator. And the advantage there is you don't have to have a generator and you can sell back extra electricity into the grid. Now, this varies greatly on where you're at. There are certain states and towns that allow for net metering to be kilowatt for kilowatt. What I mean by that is I sell back into the grid 100 kilowatts and they credit my account 100 kilowatts, which is much more advantageous than dollar for dollar because the, the places I've seen that go dollar for dollar, I'm buying at 20 cents and I sell back at like three cents. So it's mm -hmm. pennies on the dollar. And that usually is not advantageous to use the grid. Um, so we really want to look for states that have that legislation in place to protect, to make sure the net metering is done kilowatt for kilowatt, because then you can really maximize your whole system and really make it cost effective by using the grid when it's really cheap to do so, because you've already oversized your production enough to offset future grid costs from buying power. So being off grid is something that is right for some people being grid backed may be a, a solution you want, uh, depending on where you are. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yeah. I mean, so every single project is unique, right? So I'm going to listen to what the homeowner wants and make a professional suggestion on trying to make this thing cost effective as much as possible. And that might be using the grid. If I, if I think that's their best solution, I might suggest that there's, there's people that reach out that, they just want it to be off grid or they, they know they want it to be grid backed. Mm -hmm. And I can't, I can't really educate it in any other way. And, and, and that's fine. Um, it, it's, it's going to depend on the situation, their goals, their power company, their town, their state. We hit on this a, or a little bit earlier. I hit on a little bit earlier. Part of the reason why and how we found you guys uh, to be a part of the show 
is because of the way you've designed your system. And to me, it just looks like what a rural landowner and somebody that does either need or want to be off grid, it looks like something that's going to serve them well because of the ability, the modularity, the scalability of it. That being said, let's talk about the system a little bit. What does a solar system need to be off grid, truly off grid? Sure. Take us through a little bit of, of what you need and then what your system has. Of course. Yeah. So we have the solar panels. There's no difference there. You can use regular old solar panels that you would use traditional solar. The, the difference is going to start at the inverter. So an inverter converts power from DC to AC in terms of solar. So energy that's produced by these solar panels is direct current and your house is going to need alternating current. So what some solar companies do is they have microinverters. Each and every panel has its own inverter that converts power before it's sent to its next destination. Off-grid, you need a centralized inverter. Those microinverters will not work. We need one location where all the inverter is, is, is taking in all that DC energy and converting it over to AC. So that's, that's step number one off-grid is you need a really great inverter and that inverter within our system is called a Solark. That's the name brand. Um, very well known in the off-grid community because it's a very smart and capable inverter. It's a charge controller. It's the brains of the operation. It's going to be compatible with generators and batteries and solar panels. It's kind of the brains of the operation where all the power is coming to and the inverter tells the power where to go. The batteries are that next step in the chain. Batteries are super important for off-grid, um, and, and we've come a long way. So the batteries that exist now for off-grid are lithium, iron, phosphate, iron, like Iron Man, not ion. And these are big, robust 48-volt batteries. They're made to power entire homes every night. It's not a backup battery. These backup batteries are heavily marketed and they're great for certain settings, but not for anything off-grid. They're, they're made for basically power outages in suburbia that last a few hours every now and then. Great for those. When you want to live off-grid, you're going to be relying on your batteries a lot more than that. And so these batteries nowadays can withstand that for, for many, many years. Um, and, and they're 48 volts because, well, we use 48 volt batteries because Basically, we don't know what the battery technology is going to take off in the next 5, 10, 15 years. And so we wanted 48 volts, a very common battery size. And we wanted to make sure that whatever comes out next, as long as it's 48 volts, will be compatible within the system. And then the backup power source is that other huge piece to the puzzle. You need something on site that does not rely on sunlight. For relying just on sunlight, 100% of the time, you're going to run into cloudy days. You're going to run into storms. You're going to run into consecutive days of not a lot of sun. And so you'll get some production, but maybe not all you need for literally 24-7 use. And so we, we need something there that relies on propane, natural gas, something, some other power source so that we can ensure that you're never going to run out of power. You're just going to rely on it as a little amount as possible, but it's there for a very important reason. Winter time. The sun's not out as long and there's more storms. And so that's a huge piece to, um, to our system in general is all that's automated. So if you went out online and pieced all this together yourself, it would not work as well as an automated system where it's all one big system instead of several components trying to work together. 
And so this is part of this maintenance-free system is you're not having to manage any of this. You don't have to go out and turn your generator on because your lights turned off, which a lot of off-grid people do. And, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but for people that don't have the ability to do that or don't want to do that, there's this automated solution where the generator has a two-wire start and it's programmed to turn on when the batteries reach 20% and then turn back off when the sun comes back out or when the batteries reach 40%. And so that automation is pretty key to making sure that this thing always chugs along in nice ranges of temperature and states of charge. And um, we, never, we never use the batteries down to zero as an example. Um, we just want to make sure the system is well-oiled, so to speak, in terms of being able to have a lot of longevity because of this investment, right? This investment's larger than a traditional solar system. And so you get what you pay for. And we didn't cut any corners. We wanted to make sure this system would, would last a long time. Being off-grid is a little bit more labor-intensive. Josh, if you jump online and you start doing your own research on off-grid solar or really just kind of off-grid power period, whether no matter the source, you'll find a bunch of great stuff from like private owners, private landowners, you know, and they're showing you their system that they've built. And and the thing that I always laugh about, because I get I'm watching it and I'm like, man, you know what? I that's that's really awesome. That looks like that's possible. And then you get to the end of the, the video or the blog that you read and it's like, oh, and this guy's also an electrical engineer, you know, right. <laughs> small so, little detail. <laughs> right. You know, and so I look at that and I go, man, I don't know anything about any of this stuff. The the maintenance free side of what you're talking about and those systems working together because, you know, what's going to happen, the power's not going to go out at the ideal time. You know, you're not going to, what's going to happen is your batteries are going to get down to 20% in the middle of the night and it's 80 degrees outside and you want or your storming. air conditioner to keep running. You don't want to have to go outside in the middle of the night and try to figure out what's going on because all of a sudden the cabin's hot. And I really appreciate that because I'm not electrically minded. I would guess I would say um, I'm up at my place to go do stuff outside and focus on other things. Last thing I really want to do is go up there and work on the power system. And I think that's what sure. gets a lot of people from getting off the grid is that they know that there's this whole, you know, company that is there for them when they have a problem that they don't have to become an electrical engineer uh, when they have an issue. I want to take you back to what you were saying about, you know, I'm pretty, pretty familiar with the, alternating current to direct current dealing with campers a lot you know you've got to deal with the converter and the inverter but what is the battery charge controller do you mention that is that what you were talking about that kind of keeps those batteries at the optimal state of charge yeah i mean so uh, the, the battery charge controller um it kind of regulates the flow of electricity from like photovoltaic the the panels themselves and the battery so it basically wants to make sure there's no overcharging or over discharging of the battery. And so the battery charge controller just makes sure that the, the, the battery stays in a nice range where it's not going to be charged too much or, or discharged too quickly. Um, so that's all built into our system. The inverter takes care of that. That's why the inverter is a little more expensive with these off-grid uh, companies because it's got several functions. It's not just an inverter. It's going to be much more involved than that. It's going to, it's going to basically be, you know, three or four mechanisms all in one. And so the battery charge controller is all built into our system, into the inverter. Speaking of that, the complexity of it and cost, things like that is, is from an insurance standpoint, is this something that you can wrap into your, 
your homeowner's policy or does it have to be standalone policies? How does that work? Yeah, it's almost always wrapped into your your homeowner's policy. Um, and it's important to do that. It's not going to, from what I hear from many, many, many customers, it's not going to increase your premium very much. But what it does is it protects you from acts of God, which the warranties of these systems will not protect against. So panels are warranted for 25 years, everything besides acts of God. So if a meteorite falls from the sky and lands on your solar system, your solar panel warranty is not covering that, but your home insurance policy would. Same thing with like hail and trees falling on the property. Um, that's what your home insurance is for. And so it's really smart to do that research when you're researching solar and, and see just so you can budget, okay, my premium would increase $30 a month or whatever to have my solar system insured as well. Um, and so it's really important to do that to protect your asset. Yeah, absolutely. So talking about that asset, we talked about it a little bit in the beginning, not a super cheap option. It's going to be kind of expensive and say, I don't have that amount of cash laying around. Are there financing options? Yes, um, but they're pretty terrible right now. Um, so the, the solar industry is hurting right now with financing. When I first started my career, financing was very straightforward, low interest rates. And because of the state of the world right now and finances everywhere, what the banks are doing, and there's a lot of them, is they're tacking on giant dealer fees on top of the interest rate. So you take out a loan for, let's say, 20 years on your solar system. You're paying it off, let's even say, 5% interest rate. Well, that's that's all well and good and, and manageable. But then there's a 30% dealer fee on top of that. And so if you can avoid financing in any way by doing a home line of credit, home equity line of credit, or if it's new construction, rolling it into your construction loan or taking a personal loan or dipping into 401k, or there's numerous ways to do this if you, if you can avoid financing it at all costs right now. Um, Off-grid financing especially is extra tough because of all the banks in the whole country that offer solar financing, which there's a lot, uh, very few will touch off-grid if they know about it. And so it's not because it's more dangerous, it's just lesser known and, and lesser common. So a lot of banks just don't do off-grid financing. The few that do, um, it's just that that dealer fee that kind of eats into all your savings and really adds a lot of expense where we would want to not do it that way if possible. Well, we talked about that a good bit just with land ownership in general. You know, the financing options can be limited and you need to find a uh, really a, a, a land bank that understands the needs of, of that rural landowner. And a line of credit's a perfect, perfect option for something like this. It's a land improvement. It's no different than bringing in utilities. Uh, if you're bringing in a cabin, if you've got equity in your land and you can, you know, that's an easy way to get this financed, I would think. You know, going back to insurance, you were talking about the war there's warranties on the solar components. Uh, and then you've got insurance against the act of acts of God and, and kind of tying that back to the battery charge controller. One of the issues I'm I'm aware of with with all batteries is eventually they all have a shelf life, right? Eventually those batteries are going to need to be replaced. And that would be one thing I would see looking far out that I'm going to need to do. Is is that accurate? I mean, eventually are these lithium iron phosphate batteries going to hit their limit and you're going to have to bring new ones in? Of course. Yeah. Um, the good news is it's longer than you think. 
The, bat uh, the batteries we frequently use, especially in the South, are called power sink batteries. They have a 15-year off-grid warranty. And that's not an end of life. So there are batteries out there that will last longer than 15 years, which is great because that is not common and that's not what it looked like even a few years ago. Um, so thankfully, technology is increasing with this stuff. And we're at a, we're at a time where you can, you can squeeze maybe two decades out of these batteries, which is fabulous, right? That's a great right. investment. There's a lot of savings involved in your first 20 years of a system. Your panels will last longer than that. You might have to replace an inverter or some batteries along the way um, before your your panels actually stop working. Maybe fifty years later, but um, that might be two sets of batteries at that point. But yeah, the batteries are they last a lot longer than people think. People, I think people think they'll blow up ten years in. Um, they're going to slowly degrade over time, and these warranties on these newer lithium iron phosphate batteries are not end of life warranties. They're just protecting you for that first chunk. And I would think that having the battery charge controller and the automated system is going to help to keep you do, from abusing it. That's yeah, exactly keep what you I was from abusing thinking. those batteries. Yeah. And also, you you know, you've got to have this system contained, right? Because you're trying to keep from having wild fluctuations in really cold temperatures and really hot temperatures. So I would think, I mean, just correct me if I'm wrong, but I would think that having this system, basically everything is built to function together is going to help something like battery life you're going to get the most out of them that way. For sure. You nailed it. This is another premise behind our, our standalone system. It's, it's climate controlled. It's a climate controlled box. We want these batteries to stay in a really in their favorite range. We don't want them to be too cold or too hot. And so let's put them in a climate controlled box with air ventilation and heat. And um, we'll set a thermostat in there and, and make sure they stay in that range. And that's going to increase longevity. That was, that's the whole point of that. All right, folks, we'll be right back. Y'all take a minute and check out some of the businesses that make this show free for you every episode. This segment was brought to you by Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks. Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks are proud to be your metal roofing headquarters for over 40 years. Save time and money by buying from the most reliable manufacturer on the Gulf Coast. If you buy it today, you pick it up today. They offer 20 Sherwin-Williams colors to choose from and a 40-year warranty. Baker Metal and Dixie Supply, two names, same great service. With the addition of their new store in Cantonment, Florida, they now have eight locations to serve you. Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks, your metal roofing headquarters. And also by Bucks Island Marine. Bucks Island is a family-owned and operated business since 1948. They have new pontoon boats, bass boats, bow riders, and aluminum boats for sale. They love trade-ins for boats and motors, and they can rig your boat or ship your new motor anywhere in the United States. They provide boat service on all kinds of boats, even if they weren't purchased from Bucks. They have factory trained and certified technicians, so visit them at 4500 Highway 77 in Southside, Alabama, or give them a call at 256-442-2588. Well, man, we've talked about a lot here. Um, what are some things that we could be missing? What are some things that we have not thought about as far as going completely off-grid with the solar system? Appliances. Um, so people come to us with these these elaborate plans on what they thought. I'm not faulting them for it, but they'll they'll come to us and they'll say, hey, I have this 2,000 square foot home I'm about to build and I know I'm going solar, so I'm going to do all electric. Okay, well, time out. You're in New York. You're going to heat with electricity in the wintertime when we're not even getting that much sun. Your hot water is using electric, which heating with electricity just isn't efficient. It just isn't, right? We're forcing a bunch of electricity into some metal until it heats up, right? So 
we're encouraging people, if possible, reach out to us early in your planning so we can kind of educate you. Okay, you are going solar. Yes, you're going to produce a bunch of electricity. Yes. But having a 100% electric home is just not going to be cost effective on the solar piece because we're going to have to size the entire system up larger just for a few weeks of winter time where we need all that much more power. And so we highly recommend anything that's producing heat, you consider being gas. So hot water, the gas are very efficient. Dryer sometimes, that's a really good option. And then your cooking, you know, some people like cooking with gas more than electric anyway. So that's not usually a tough sell. And there's beautiful induction ovens and everything now. And, and not going to the extreme of, okay, let's get a gas powered refrigerator. Well, I mean, refrigerators don't use that much power. Please just get a normal electric one. Let's not go too crazy with this. We still want to use some electricity. Um, but yeah, I mean, especially if they have pools and huge air conditioning units, we really want to make sure the rest of the appliances are well thought out to not, not need an exorbitant amount of electricity to run. That definitely makes sense. It's funny you say that because I know like just going back to every situation is different. My uh, my wife is from Michigan and my in-laws still live up there. And when they come down here to South Alabama, they're, they were blown away that in the winter we use electric for heat. And they were like, how can you do that? I'm like, we only need it for like two weeks out of the year. So it's totally different. Yeah. And like two hours out of the day too, because you know, right, exactly. you're like, oh, it feels good in here. Yeah, it's finally cold. Uh, you're finally still, not sweating. You're still uh, dealing with your trauma from August and, and July. You know, kind of going back to Butch was saying these these other considerations, I'm obviously going to make this, you know, relate this back to my current situation, which is, you know, a lot of the times, and I've seen this on other properties, the reason somebody is choosing to go off-grid or considering off-grid is because the location where they want to put their residence or their camp or whatever it may be is just not in a good spot to tie into the grid. Like they're going to have, like in my situation is I've got a beautiful creek, you know, creekside spot picked out, but it's 500 yards from the nearest transmission line. So early numbers I'm looking at is probably like $25,000 up to $25,000 just to get power there, just to get it back there. Then I've got the added negatives of, either transmission lines that have trees falling on them. And if I have to go underground, the costs are going to go up from there. So how can someone look at their current situation and determine if the upfront costs of an off-grid solar system are going to be worth it? Yeah, I, I think you need to really start to look at this in terms of your lifestyle, right? So if you go with overhead wires, you're going to have to look at them on your beautiful Creekside property. For the privilege of having a never-ending increasing power bill. Right. And how can we possibly put a price on the security and reliability of having power no matter what? Right. In, in this increasingly volatile world, right? So this is always a fun topic to, to bring up with homeowners is how can we put a price on that? When, when you're up there on your on your vacation and your air conditioning works and no one else in town even has power, mm-hmm. what what would you pay for that to have water? when the rest of the town doesn't have any power. You can still use your well. So that's tricky to put into a, a quantitative number, um, but you can do real math. You can you can look at, okay, my bill at my current home is 150 bucks a month. And so if, I, if I'm in this new place and it's 150, I'm gonna do that math for a year. And then they're probably gonna go up about 3% the next year. And I'll calculate that math and 3% inflation and start to look at, okay, 
that plus the 25K figure of bringing in power, add it all together. And then what is my investment for going solar? And look at those and see which, which route looks better. If they're close, I find most people want to go solar. If they're really far apart, it's a much tougher decision. And some people still choose to go with the grid power. It's just um, part of the nature of the initial investment of going this route. I like what you're saying. I, I'm I'm sure that you know for people that do have a very long distance to bring a transmission line in, it, it starts to make more and much clearer sense to do something like off grid financially. But I really appreciate what you say what you're saying about the quality of your life of having this kind of a system versus having a a grid tied system. We talk about that a lot on this podcast with regards to land ownership because. You can sit there and do the calculations on what owning timberland is uh, as a return on investment compared to, say, having a diversified portfolio of stocks and bonds, you know, something like that. But what's your return on seeing your your son kill his first deer on land that you own? You know, what's what's your return on that investment? There's no way to put a to, to quantify it, but you know, it's there, you know what it feels like. And like you said, the security, the safety, the peace of mind, the, I mean, peace I've, of mind. I've, ruined, I've ruined several freezers full of meat, but the power was out and I had no idea. Right. Yeah. The aesthetics. I know Clint, you dealt with that last year, I think, uh, with a, a freezer loss and, you know, and the, you know, the aesthetic side of it, it's definitely something to consider. So Josh, we appreciate you joining us today, letting us quiz you on this. If folks do want to reach out to you directly to determine if an off-grid solar system is right for them, what's the best way to, for them to get in touch with you or, or with somebody there at Revolt? Sure, yeah. So Revolt is spelled R-A, like the sun god, Ra, volts, right? Voltage uh, for electricity. And so revolt.com is our website. There's a lot of great information and pictures and videos on there. If you YouTube Revolt, there's a lot of good videos on YouTube. Um, to get me directly, it's just Josh, my first name, at revolts.com. So we're keeping it really simple and easy with all, with all these contact points. Um, so, yeah, reach out, ask questions. We love talking about this. We're all geeky solar guys that have been in the industry 10 plus years and, and you know, no questions too strange and no situation it goes above us. We love doing this. This is our passion. Hey, Josh, I was just caught my eye earlier. You guys are .us, not .com. Does that matter? It doesn't. So if you type in revolt.com, it'll go. Uh, okay. the, the website literally is revolt.us. They're all interchangeable. You can email me at josh at revolt.us. It's the same thing. Okay. Um, just wanted to double check that wouldn't slip up by accident. Appreciate that. All right, folks, we're going to be right back. Y'all take a minute and check out some of our sponsors. First South Farm Credit. What does a farm mean to you? Maybe it's just a piece of land where you can go relax or enjoy the outdoors. Whatever the farm means to you, First South Farm Credit can help you finance or refinance that perfect piece of land. As a successful financial cooperative, First South shares its profits with its borrowers in the form of a patronage refund, which lowers your cost of borrowing. To find out how First South can help you, visit their website at firstsouthland.com or call them at 800-955-1722. They are an equal housing lender. Glenn, I've seen a lot of properties that would have benefited from a revolt type system that have been hard to sell because people are not wanting to deal with not being able to get power in. Have you seen some places that <laughs> if this is something that everybody knew about and, and could just basically a turnkey option like this, uh, would it have sold the place? Oh, it, it's yeah, it's changed 
affected a lot of sales of beautiful places that would have otherwise just flown off the shelf, uh, you know, at huge prices because people didn't want to deal with a generator setup or some kind of obscure, you know, flip this switch, turn that knob, you know, hold your lip right, stomp three times and yeah. everything comes on type systems that we're used to seeing over the years. So to have something like this that can mimic power that you can also monitor remotely is just, this is a game changer. I'd say the same thing. You know, that was my main big takeaway from this is every place I've walked into this, like what you described, it's somebody's project that they're enjoying just as much as the land itself. You know, they've gone up there and they said, look, we've got all these special appliances. They're 12 volt appliances. You know, they're running on direct current and, you know, right. and, and I'm. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's no, kind it's of more fine. of a little project. Like That's a little project. your thing. Right. No, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it, but that's not what a lot of people want. A lot of people want to go to the camp or go to their property and enjoy the outside and not ever have to think about how the power gets there. The automated nature of this is what is very attractive to me because I'm one of those people. Like I don't go to the camp to enjoy messing with the electrical system. I go up there to go up and enjoy hunting and habitat management and all those things. And knowing that I've got a self-contained system that is functioning together and is designed to work together is a big selling point for me. What about you, Butch? What'd you take away? I would say probably along the lines of what you just said, being scalable. Um, your situation right now is not going to be your situation. You're a great example, just kind of getting started on your place. Um, your cabin's going to need probably more power than your your campers have right now. And, right. you know, we're going to grow out of our cabin eventually. I mean, we're, you know, Lillian's right. not getting any smaller and neither are my brother's kids. And we might have to build a little cabin mm -hmm. close to our other cabin one day. Um, so I like that scalability aspect of it. It's a very homogenated, self-sustaining unit that is scalable. Yeah. Very interesting that the, the world of off-grid, the world of, of really alternative energy systems is one that it, I feel like it's just getting going. It's it's exciting for rural landowners with for you know not just with power, but being able to get internet, the remote work options that are out there. Uh, this is definitely going to be one to to pay attention to and a company to pay attention to with them specializing in the off grid space. Well, that's going to wrap it up for us this week. Appreciate you joining us. We want to make it easy for you to listen. So here's a handy option for you to get the podcast emailed to you each week. Just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377. Again, just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377. You'll join our email list. And wherever you are listening to podcasts, go ahead, subscribe, rate, and review. Send us a written review. We'd love to hear from you. If you got a show topic that you are interested in and like to see us cover, just email us at pros at landhunting.com. That's going to do it for us. Y'all stay safe out there. We'll talk to you next time. This week's show is brought to you by the Hunter's Mate Lowdown Trail Cam Reviewer. The Lowdown High Speed Trail Cam Viewer has flipping fast technology that allows you to view images three times faster on a screen that is 60% bigger than typical 7-inch viewers. Find out more at lowdownviewer.com. And also, Great Days Outdoors, the South's finest hunting and fishing magazine. Pick up your copy wherever magazines are sold or check them out at greatdaysoutdoors.com. And also, by Southern Seed and Feed. Do you want to provide better nutrients for your deer? Check out Southern Buck. Your deer will love it. Visit their website at southernseedfeed.com or call 662-726-2638 to find the dealer nearest you.
and also First South Farm Credit. First South shares its profits with its borrowers in the form of a patronage refund, lowering your cost of borrowing. Check them out at firstsouthland.com or call them at 800-955-1722. They're an equal housing lender. 